0: Did you end up listening to the radio show? You know, the KPCD 666
1: Cape Radio. I just discovered it today, and I only listened to the first, like, 30-second teaser of what it was early on, so I have not listened to it. Have you listened to them?
0: I did. It was thanks to Rebecca on our Facebook page who uh, pointed out that these were even happening. Somehow they slipped through my fingers previously, so I didn't realize what it was. And went back and listened to all three chapters that I believe uh, came out in advance of this season. Uh, first of all, I just want to say, like, very clever content marketing. Hell yeah. To basically, they, I mean, you you should listen to it just to appreciate it from a public radio perspective. Yeah. But, it, you know, the idea is that it's the off-season in Provincetown. And, like, normally, you know, it's there's, like, a really popular show that airs during the summer when everyone's there. But this, like, local girl has taken on, like, the guest hosting during the winter when it's very sparsely populated and she like interviews different people in the town and they reference a lot of the character. I mean, it's not the voices of Evan Peters or Francis Conroy or anything like that, but they reference a lot of the characters we come to meet. So they reference the new police chief in town, chief Burleson. Um, They reference the uh, new tattoo shop um, where we later find out Billy Lord is the tattoo artist slash dentist um you know we get a lot of references to the different kind of things that are going on and there's like talk of all the roadkill and stuff so it's kind of fun i just thought it was a really clever uh content marketing kind of get people kind of jazzed up and excited they have all the episodes on youtube
1: for people who want to go listen to them did you ever um watch the movie the mist no so um oh wait it's not the mist the fog the fog i'm sorry it's the fog the Fog. There's also a radio station and then the remake, Selma Blair plays like the radio station person and a lot of it is taking place, the radio station, in a sleepy Stephen king s town uh, on the coast where this fog is coming in and all this shit happens. Um, so when I listened to the first teaser of it, that, it reminded me of that and I am obsessed with that. So I love that. I, I need to listen to all of those. Absolutely shall we dive in oh my god here we are here we go it's been two years dude it's well it's been it's been not that long since you and i have talked about it's been two years since we've had a new season
0: since a new season well we better get into it let's do it let's go let's go Good evening everybody and welcome to this American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host Tyler Moss here with my co-host
1: Chris Husted, What's up everyone? Welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back as May says in his hip hop song. Um, it's so I'm so excited. It's been it's been a while since we've had a new season as I have been just so thrilled to talk just about. Just teased, yes, just teased, but <laughs> oh my gosh. Tyler, how are you?
0: I am doing well. I'm thrilled to be here. Double feature. We're going to have, uh, you know, this first set of episodes set in Provincetown. And then, of course, P-town. the second season by Sand, which we know involves aliens. The themes are great. There's so much happening in this first double episode kickoff. I'm super excited to dig into it. But before we
1: do, um, how are you doing, Chris? I'm pretty good. Um, if anyone hasn't tuned in to listen to us when we did American Horror Stories, check that out because that was that was a blast. Uh, I thank God that happened. And and if anyone t- tuned in with us when we did the rewatch of Murder House, welcome back to that. That that was super fun. Um,
0: and- that's right. we filled our time well since uh, the last American Horror Story season with. You know, recapping all these New American Horror stories and yeah, rewatching Murder House, which was a blast. And thanks for everyone who watched it along with us.
1: But if you have not been with us since 1984, here we are. (laughs) And there's a whole bunch (laughs) of (laughs) other stuff to go listen to if you want to.
0: For sure. And here's the deal. Maybe you're brand new. I mean, premise of this whole show is... Chris and I have just been watching TV shows together for a decade a dec- now. Yeah. Um, more than a decade, a decade now. Decade, yeah. uh, we, we started off doing it together in uh, a college dorm room, basically, just watching a whole bunch of shows and talking about them. Then we moved different places and we're like, hey, let's keep doing it, but over you know video chat or whatever. And we started recording them and that's how we got to this American Horror Story today. So, you know, we just have a casual conversation as fans of the show. We like to bring in the thoughts and theories and questions and voices of the different people who also kind of participate in this American Horror Story community, and we're thrilled to have you. So as the season proceeds, you should know that you can always contact us via email at thisamericanhorrorstory@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We always appreciate getting, you know, whatever kind of thoughts you have on the episode or the season as a whole, um, whatever your theories are. Um, Whatever your questions are, bring those in. We try to respond to everybody and, you know, when it fits with what we're talking about in the show, then we tie it in there. We also have a Facebook page at Facebook.com slash This American Horror Story where you can join us as well. Um, And finally, please rate us, review us on uh, whatever platform you listen to your podcast. We sincerely appreciate it. And it helps people to kind of come around and find us. Um. So much to talk about. Where to begin? Last thing I want to touch on before we dive into double feature, is that Chris and I have been doing this show now for ten years, which is a little bit nuts to say. Um, you know, it's something we do for fun. It's a passion project. We pay the server costs out of our own pockets, but this year we set up a little kind of creative donation fund at buymeacoffee.com/tahs, all capitals. Um, and the idea is, you know, if you're interested in throwing a, you know, a couple. Uh, Clams? Is that the old-fashioned yeah, it term? Is. Our it, way? Is. it is. Our way? it is. Then you can go to buymeacoffee.com and, you know, figuratively buy us a copy and, uh, you know, show your love for the show. We've been really humbled by the people who uh, donated during American Horror Stories. So thank you so much to all of you out there. And if you don't feel like it, no worries either. Yeah. We just appreciate you listening. Y'all
1: are amazing. You're, you're the best listeners. And I don't, I don't want to say fans because... Fans of American Horror Story, not fans of us. Like, we, we're, just, we're just you guys. Y'all, we just talk about it and again like tali mentioned like facebook we all talk on that all the time so um and everyone who's contributed already has been so sweet so like it generally fills our hearts so thank you indeed indeed indeed
0: now we are recording directly after the premiere, premiere- yeah, plural uh, the first two episodes of double feature uh, which means we are live late at night. It is one ten a.m. my time. And, of course, I'm not going to stay up this late and talk about American Horror Story without a drink in my hand, Chris. So before <laughs> I
1: begin, what are you drinking? I am drinking, after a whole bottle of Cabernet while I was watching that show because we had two episodes, I have a uh, nice glass of Four Roses bourbon. What are you drinking, Tyler? Ooh,
0: that's delicious. You know, I drank a... Um, Classic New England style uh, IPA while I was watching the show because I Mm -hmm. I needed to get in that whole New England mindset while I was watching, drink local. But now I'm drinking a uh, glass of scotch because I feel like that is kind of like, you know, it feels like the uh, Austin Summers kind of getting in the, you know, summoning my muse before we really dive in and start talking about this vibe. So I needed to make sure I was on the right level. I was going to think about maybe making an Aperol Spritz because it is still kind of in uh season for that so it wouldn't be quite as um controversial or uh cutting against the grain as austin's drink was yep. but unfortunately i didn't have any aperol so i'll have to save that for later in the season i guess <laughs> we should do an aperol spritz at some point i agree we totally should. love those before we dive in oh they're delicious they're all over europe that's where they're quite popular before we dive into episode one, which was called Cape Fear, a um, couple things you should know if you are listening now. First off, is we are going to talk about both episodes in this same podcast, but we are going to break it up, kind of in part one and part two. So we'll be rating part. We'll talk about part one. We'll rate part one. We'll talk about part two. We'll rate part two. It'll be kind of a, a mega podcast with those two episodes, so to speak. Um, I did want to bring in one kind of pre-read for the audience before we dive in that Josh had emailed to us in advance of this season. Okay. He had done some digging around and found an article from Provincetown Magazine dated back to 2011 that is called The Black Flash The Legend Lives On. And it turns out that there is actually some real theory going back to the late 1930s that people... uh, Claimed, back in those days, to have stumbled across a strange, uh, kind of animalistic, very tall, trench coat-wearing, pointy-eared, sharp-toothed figure in Provincetown uh, that used to roam the streets. And that mystery is kind of unsolved. (coughs) Excuse me. Apologies for that. Do you need some red meat? I might have... Yeah, maybe I do. (laughs) Anyway, this article digs into that legend... Um, And you can kind of uh, see how it could have, you know, you can imagine Ryan Murphy kind of stumbling across this, being kind of the impetus for a lot of what's happening in this season. Totally. Now digging into Cape Fear, uh, Chris, would you like to take us through the
1: cold open? Sure. The very gray cold open. I like this because it was, it was short. It was a quick cold open for the first episode. So in Cape Fear, we have a very gray tone set and we have a family driving to a new, a new location along the beach. Clearly, it's it seems very Massachusetts, Connecticut esque. I don't know, Tal. You live in Massachusetts, you know, kind of probably what this looks like with the with the beaches, the white beaches, and the fence, the fences that are a little disheveled. Um, we get uh, a little bit weird when um, a we see some roadkill happening and we have, we have Harry. I'm going to give the names. Now we have Harry and we have Doris and we have their daughter Alma in the back. Um, and she's probably like, I don't know, like seven, eight. I'm, I'm really bad at gauging kids ages in that realm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she's counting all the roadkill as, as they're driving to their new location, which we don't necessarily know exactly where that's going to be. It's obviously going to be uh, Provincetown. Um, she says it's weird when a cat gets run over compared to a raccoon uh, or a squirrel or something like that. Um, but they, they they approach, immediately get hit with, or not get hit with, but see a buck in the middle of the road. They pull over, look at the dead buck in the road, and i got a lot of vibes of feral if anyone's seen um american horror stories feral that episode this this buck has not been hit by a car it has its throat like kind of thrashed so there's definitely some some something happening here um so they they move on because um doris the wife is worried that uh he might get the husband might get Lyme disease, which is her thing for this episode. Um, and as they drive off, the buck gets dragged away immediately. And that's it. And that's it. That's our that's our cold open. It was kind of a nice, a nice short, pithy uh, opening. What did you think, Tyler?
0: I liked it, too. And I don't know if it's because coming off of the final episode of American Horror Stories, we were just talking recently about 13 how the minutes was long, was 15 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. 13 minutes long. This one was probably three and a half, something like that. It was. It was short and sweet. It set the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you know, for those who don't know, Provincetown is, it's on Cape Cod which is kind of this, if you look on a map of the United States, it's that odd little curly Q tail that kind of is falling off of Massachusetts into the ocean. Um, It's the very tip of that. It's a very popular summer destination as we learn in the, you know, later on in the episode. Um, It's really known during the summer for it's like really robust LGBTQ culture. Um, And yeah, it's a huge summer destination. It's, uh, there's great food, there's great bars, it's a good nightlife scene, but clearly, you know, it kind of shuts down in the off season. And this, uh, season is really kind of about that the winter season destination yeah. and we'll dive into it soon. Um, it does strike me cause we've made already kind of in our teaser to this episode or to the season, we talked about, you know, parallels to the shining and I think we'll talk about more of those as we dive in that, um, you know, similar to the shining, they're going to kind of a popular vacation destination in the off season. And there's mm-hmm. something always kind of eerie about that where it's a place that like, you know, it's kind of these grand settings where you expect a lot of people to be, but it makes it feel very absent. And in that absence, there's kind of a a spookiness to it. I will also say one more thing about Provincetown, which is if you're an Anthony Bourdain fan, uh, Provincetown played a huge part in his history. You know, I just recently watched the Roadrunner documentary and they reference a lot of that time. That was when he was a really young chef and that's where he got hooked on heroin, which was very fundamental in everything throughout the rest of his life. And there's an episode of, uh, Parts Unknown, I believe, where he goes back to Provincetown and he kind of walks on the beach and talks about it. And even then, I mean, you know, especially considering how much drugs were talked about in this episode, you can kind of get a sense of Provincetown's history and, and that sort of thing.
1: Also, you like should, that. if you haven't read Kitchen Confidential, his book is, it touches on that too. It's fantastic. Amazing. Amazing.
0: What did you think of the credit
1: scene? Um, that's a good question. It's really hard to judge a cre- uh, the opening credit scene. Uh, after coming off of American Horror Stories, which they were like so brilliant, um, I thought that, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Um, it was honestly just like flash images of the themes of what's happening in this season. I'm assuming, or at least in the first part of double feature. So we get scientific labs, we get X rays, we get meat meat getting cleaved, um, music sheets. Uh, Blood on these like florally, like beachy China, Um, roadkill, worms, (laughs) like teeth, drugs, like pills, needles, and more teeth. Um, So it was it was fine. I'm going to be honest, not my favorite. Yeah, that's fair. Did you watch the show Dexter on Showtime? I never watched Dexter, and after I heard about the mm. finale, I was like, "Well, maybe it was good." I didn't, but <laughs> well, I think it's supposed to be coming. Yeah, they're back rebooting, or they're yeah, re, <laughs> they're yeah. Anyway,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think of it? Well, the reason I was saying is because I think, to me, in some ways, this credit scene kind of reminded me. I don't even know why. Maybe the focus on blood, because the kind of the Dexter uh, credit scene for that show. Um, kind of had this focus on on kind of blood and brutality and violence. And that's kind of like, you know, obviously layered in here along with like the screenplay and um, the drugs and the music, of course. A couple other things I wanted to point out here from the credits. Ryan Kiera Armstrong is the name of the actress, the young girl actress who's playing Alma. I will have to say when I looked up her resume for however old she is, uh, she's been in a lot already, including the recent Black Widow movie.
1: Wait, who is she? Oh, is she one of the young Widow girls? I watched Black Widow. I've I not seen
0: it. it yet. Yeah. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm not sure who she is. But yeah, she was in Black Widow. Um, a couple of other credit things that were just... I, first of all, also, I think she's doing a great job.
1: She's she's. Twitter. Oh, she's doing a good job. Um, I will... Uh, wait, real quick. Alma was on our list of names for our daughter before... Well, it was on my list. It got... It got put down. But mo- more because Alma was the name of the woman who played the piano in uh, Sister Act, if any ever, anyone ever watched that movie. Alma, boom, boom, <laughs> check your battery. Anyway. So, uh,
0: you know, the Alma name is already connected to music. So but, she, but
1: this actress is already very accomplished, it sounds like. She is, and you can see why. Oh, yeah, she's I good. She it.
0: Uh, another thing I wanted to say, you know, is both of these episodes, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk wrote... So that's, you know, clear that they have their fingerprints all over it. And the director for this episode was John J. Gray. Yes. Who has worked on American Horror Story and other Ryan Murphy, Murphy properties for many years. But from what I could tell looking at his IMDb IMDb profile, he's only ever worked in the past as a producer or a story editor. So this might be his very first directing credit. Oh. And I thought he did a phenomenal job. Oh,
1: yeah. I loved it. It was great. He hit all the, like, regular American Horror Story, like, weird angles that we always like. Um... It was, yeah, he did a great job.
0: Totally. So let's get into the meat of the episode a little bit. Okay. You know, they arrive at the Beach House, a very traditional kind of Cape Cod style house. And we get kind of the whole spiel that we talked about just a minute ago, that they're there in the off season. Normally it's 60K population in summer, 3K population in the off season. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the, the... person who kind of manages the house, the property for these, the Brown family who doesn't live there, um, kind of gives the background on, it. you know, here in Provincetown, the Pilgrims landed here before they arrived in Plymouth, which uh, Plymouth, for those who don't know, is, you know, kind of further up the coast along the Cape on your way to Boston. It's probably, I don't know, 30 minutes from, well, Provincetown is probably quite a bit further because you have to go all the way in. But the point being that Plymouth, where the Pilgrims ultimately landed, is really not that far. We all learn it in like fourth grade. Indeed, and we know actually that the code name for the season was Pilgrim, so uh-huh. there you go. That's probably why that was a reference. Uh, we get all the background. You know, um, Harry has this uh, job he has to do to write this uh, pilot for a show that he's pitched, but he is struggling with it, or he has been struggling with it. That's kind of the impetus for this trip. Uh, similarly, his wife Doris, who's played by Lily Rabe, who is pregnant, um, Very she has been pregnant. given this project. Very pregnant. Yeah, I was going to guess. What do you think she is? Probably eight months? I mean, if she... Nine months?
1: They live in New York, and they're going on this vacation to do writing. Um, She looks like she's eight months. I don't know. You would have more experience in knowing this because your wife is fairly pregnant,
0: too. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna get. Go, that's what I would guess. I mean, she's she's close. She's like relatively close. Let's say seven so. months,
1: because it would be insane if she was going on a three month vacation to not vacation, but a three month trip to redecorate a house, and for him to work. Like, there's no way she's only six months, right? And also, like, like does she want to deliver? I, you and I both. It's a good point. Yes. So it's <laughs>
0: yeah 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 maybe she's is planning to deliver up there I think I mean given the preview for the rest of the season I think she will deliver up and Pro- up in Provincetown
1: but they want yeah. that baby
0: yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we'll get there um, but we know that she was basically offered this basically this job to redecorate the house and get three months three months free it's like in exchange uh, to decorate it for her her interior design skills right. based on a kind of an influencer uh, Instagram that she's right. developed over time which. Yep. You know, she's kind of fostered a following and all that stuff. Um, meanwhile, we also find out that their daughter is like this supremely ambitious violin player, too. So they all are – it's a very creative family, and they all kind of have their thing. It's music. It's interior design. It's writing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, each of them, they're they're here, and kind of the idea is each one is going to get their time to focus and really um, – I don't know, nurture their muse, although they are struggling to find their muse. Pretty quickly, we find that they are all blocked to a certain extent and are struggling, you know, that blank yep. cursor s- blinking at us from, from the page. I like Which, that. as writers, you and I, both of us, yep. uh, I'm sure you know that there's nothing like a blank cursor on the page to, like, give you just absolute complete anxiety, especially when you have a deadline.
1: Yep, 100%. It's mm-hmm. real. It's
0: real. I, it is. I like that when Harry started wandering the streets, we got kind of a... a it was like some good, interesting angles. We really started to get a feel for the cinematography and we get that more when he goes running later. Um, so really appreciated that. I noticed then that all the outdoor lamps were red in Provincetown. I was wondering if you think this has anything to do with the theme or I don't know, maybe this is just a thing in Provincetown that I don't know about.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if it's a thing in Provincetown. I know that red is clearly a color that's used in American horror story. Um, I mean, Murder House comes to mind like red lipstick, red anything, it, it, it comes to mind. Um, and even later in the episode, um, the red candles, which are traditional candles at the restu- at restaurants, at like Italian restaurants or something like that, we see those and they're prominently uh, featured. So red definitely is, especially uh, uh, juxtaposed to the gray tones of everything else, the way this whole series so far has been shot so yeah right red's red's a color for sure for sure you know
0: harry goes to the grocery store and that's where we get introduced to uh tb karen played by our old-time favorite sarah paulson who is totally killing it you get like hypodermic sally vibes but grittier oh my god Um,
1: exactly what i thought too i fist pumped yeah she's she's our first jump scare in 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 a way she's our first jump scare in this episode and i fist pumped when i saw her um and i was like oh oh yeah sarah paulson loves to play these characters that are like kind of the side quirkier characters um neurotic characters if you will and it was just you know i and just gave me so much excitement to see her play this person that we know is going to play an important role in this season
0: these are my favorite characters for her too, just because there's more there's more to them. They don't have to play kind of the quote unquote straight man of the episode or whatever, mm-hmm. like Cordelia or something, which is Cordelia is a fine fun character Love but her. But. I prefer I prefer for it to be like weird, kind of out there type type characters,
1: you know? I bet Sarah does. Um, I too. believe she
0: has a little I would think so too. She has a line in here that says I, I believe what she says to Finn Witrock Harry is she says, get out of here or something like get out of here or I'll munch on your balls or something
1: like that. Did you catch that line? Oh, I, I thought you, I only heard you're going to die or something. Very, very she
0: something. Of, maybe she says they'll munch on your balls. She might be talking about the pale people munching on balls. <laughs> so there's a pretty funny line in there. But uh, the, the grocer describes her as the local quote unquote nutter. Mm-hmm. But, of course, as we know, this is kind of a trope in horror films and horror shows. These people are often kind of the most prescient people and the ones who are actually, like, giving you the real information about what's going on when everybody else is kind of... True. ...hiding it behind a facade. True. One thing I noted throughout this episode uh, was that, you know, there's a scene where it's the tick-tick of the metronome while, and, you know, Harry's trying to write and it's like he can't focus... And later on, we have a tea kettle that kind of just has like the tea kettle going up in pressure. And this feels very The Shining, very Kubrick-esque to me to kind of use these natural noises as just like a little bit like either like the repetition of it or the increasing pressure kind of to build anxiety. It's it's very, it's like a subtle way to do it, but it's very clever and it's effective. I was wondering if you noticed that.
1: Oh, 100%. It's a good device to use if you're trying to drum up tension without having to without having a scene between characters like this shows that things are escalating to a point without having to is again, it's showing without telling. And then that's what we exactly. That's perfect. It's it's very, it's a device. It's traditional. It's, it's how you do it, but it's, they do it fantastically in this. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: So in a walk to the graveyard that Doris and all, why did they
1: go there first?
0: We, and we see a pale man immediately. And I have to say that I wrote in my notes, I was like, what, you know, WTF, I didn't expect to see, I didn't expect to see them that quickly. Normally, like, we tease, you know, you hear about the creature, you hear about, like, the the roadkill that's been laying around for a while. And you don't actually see the thing that's doing it for quite some time. But, like, they look over there and it doesn't even hide. It's just, like, very quickly you see it and it comes running at them. Uh, and just chase them back to the house, like hissing through the window. It's very aggressive in a way that I didn't expect, and I kind of appreciated that unexpected, kind of, of, you know, um, counterintuitive approach to kind of this creature
1: in the woods sucking blood trope. It's very Night of the Living Dead to me, the original, um, where the brother and the sister go to the cemetery and they see the one dude who's, like, wobbling around, and I like that, Um, but I... I thought, so with that being the, the, the initial introduction to the quote-unquote monster that we're going to be dealing with, um, it's okay that we see it once, but the fact that it chased them the entire time, this is my one critique of this episode, is that we saw the monster, again, quote-unquote, like too frequently, <laughs> too much. Um, but it, it did it did instill a sense of fear immediately. I thought it was creepy every time,
0: though. Like I, oh, yeah. would, I thought it was creepy when it chased him back. I thought it was creepy when we saw him through the window every time. And that's a big hats off to Spencer Novich, who we said is an American Horror Story newcomer, uh, Cirque du Soleil performer, who oh. is kind of also a body contortionist. Uh, and th- those those movements, especially when we have that scene later with Harry and him in the kitchen after he sneaks through the window, it's just like the way he moves his body. It's just like, ooh, gives you chills.
1: When they're all outside of the house, like watching when Harry goes to the restaurant, it was like a Missy Elliott backup dancer music video, like pop locking shit. Like it was,
0: <laughs> except like maybe like turn your put your arm all the way around your head and back through your armpit or something. Some yeah, angle. I don't know how they do those angles. They probably have to dislocate their their limbs to do it. Uh, So soon after this is when we meet Chief Burleson, which I was laughing at because I think in my (sighs) notes originally for the preview, I had written Chef Burleson. (laughs) I missed the (laughs) I, So I was like, oh, apparently Adina Porter is going to play a chef. But no, Adina Porter is back who we love. Playing, you know, the new in town police chief. We know she spent a lot of time in Oakland. The reason she moved to Provincetown is because it was a quiet, sleepy town, not a lot of crime going on. She wants to be here. Kind of take it easy. And, uh, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of crime reported. Um, She says that most of the crime that takes place is drug-related. And this is kind of a constant theme we hear about more and more. Um, But Harry does surface this family that was killed last winter in their own beds in Truro. And as we see him searching this online later, you know, we learn that they, too, kind of had their throats torn out. And no one yet has really discovered who the culprit was or or what exactly happened.
1: And she attributes it to, to just being like a crime family situation. In Rhode Island.
0: Mm-hmm. Those Rhode Island crime families, man. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Doris, by the way, thinks it's Lyme disease, which Again. Is, I think that obsession is very interesting and funny that they have her like talk about Lyme quite a bit. Lyme, for I mean, Lyme disease is, is a thing here in the New England area, um, not so much in winter. But in summer, there's a lot of worry about it and like open fields and stuff like that. You get like a tick bite and it gives you like this weird like bullseye rash. And then if you end up like if you don't get it treated and you end up getting Lyme disease, um, yeah, you get like crazy exhaustion. And it's like actually very hard to kind of I mean, you survive, but it's like very hard. You know, it has lasting effects.
1: So I got two thoughts on Lyme disease. Um, One is my first introduction to Lyme disease was on real world Seattle where Irene had it. And I'm dating myself on that because I'm a little old. Um, (laughs) uh, And Lyme disease, Lyme disease, by the way, is a real thing. Like I'm not like, like making, minimalizing it at all. It is a thing. Um, But the second thing is, uh, and I wonder why she, from, um, doris from new york is so like obsessed with it is because a lot of like the real housewives are very (laughs) like some of them like i have lyme disease i have lyme disease and it's like do you or do you not i'm not sure i'm not sure it's like you know whatever (laughs) again it's a real thing i'm not disparaging it and i'm not saying i'm not trying to minimize it but i wonder if that's part of why she's so fixated on lyme disease because they come from new york city and they're like low fancy and that's a thing so that's a little keeps... satirical yes yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah i
0: feel it i feel it <laughs> <laughs> it's a good little it's a good little quirk for her character um lily rabe also awesome to have back i don't know that we mentioned that her and finna truck
1: i looked so i looked up their ages because i was like are they old enough to have kids that age and lily rabe is 39 at this point and Finn Wittrock is 36. Like, so they definitely could have those kids. They just seem so young to me because we, like, I think of them as, young. like, even seeing um, Evan Peters as an older person, it's kind of hard because we've seen them, like, grow up and they, they'll always be, it's like seeing Ron and Hermione and uh, Harry, like, grow up and play adult characters. It's like, no, 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 you're these people who are younger. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, that's true. They've been in so many seasons now. It's like, you remember when they were, I mean, you know they were dandy and they were Tate and they were kids. And now it's like, Ooh,
1: a little different. Yeah. And I just came off of watching, uh, Lily Rabe. I finished, uh, the undoing, which, which I'm not going to spoil anything, but don't spoil that. I'm not going to spoil that, but I I will say she was fantastic in it. And the end of that was to me horrible. So (laughs) I did not like it. I did not like it. (laughs) That.
0: we'll leave it there we'll leave it there we'll leave it there uh huh mm-hmm. so you know not long after this after this you know, interaction with the police where it's like it's being written off by Chief Burleson Harry he goes on a run and stumbles across two more bodies in the surf yep. their intestines torn out sharks uh, pretty gruesome yeah I mean it's quite, pretty quickly being dismissed by the police chief to the point where you're like eh, Are is you the police in on chief this? being a little disingenuous yep. are you in on this are you covering something up it's not entirely clear um so you start to wonder, and, you know, I, I do, if I had one little, like, critique of this episode, I would say they don't quite seem alarmed enough yes. by the weird hissing people and the dead bodies on the beach. Yes. Um, and especially even after he, like, he, someone is murdered in their house, they don't quite seem, you know, full, to fully, uh, like, that doesn't seem to have a lot of lingering emotional impact on them afterward, but, you know, I'm going to let that go because I think they're actually the rest of the episode is pretty fantastic. Um mm-hmm. You know, next part of the story is we have Doris get sick, so Harry goes to the restaurant by himself, and there's some funny little interactions at the bar, including when we get to meet Mickey, played by Macaulay Culkin, uh, who calls Harry "quote unquote" an angry top. Seems like he is effectively a prostitute. Yep. Um, and we realize there's kind of a whole male prostitute community in Provincetown, um, yep. which we learn later under the the dick doc or something like that. that yeah. <laughs> harry goes exploring later yeah um what'd you think of what'd you think of our introduction loved
1: it i was very excited he he was giving me a lot of vibes of party monster when he played that character i'm assuming you probably felt the same on that um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i was so happy to see him we were pumped to see him it was really cool to see him this the as this type of a character um he uh, he has great lines. Um, obviously, he plays. He's gonna play some bigger part in this, and uh, he's. And and um, Harry says, you know, like, oh hey, like I, I'm actually I'm good on my drink. Um, I I'm married to a woman, and 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 Mickey's like so are most of my clients or whatever. So we know what he is. We know what he's doing. Yeah. Um. But it was it, it was a. Fantastic introduction to uh, to his character. Talking about introductions, immediately after this, we have like the most
0: fantastic karaoke scene.
1: Oh my god! I was as soon as the piano started playing the chords, I was like, "Islands in the Stream." Islands in the Stream. I know this song. I love this song. And I was like, "Oh my god!" We're actually at a piano bar, and well i'm gonna go with it uh we get we get it. we get evan peters and we get francis conroy singing the most iconic duet dolly parton uh and kenny who r.i.p r.i.p kenny mm-hmm. rogers sorry gambler mm-hmm. um singing singing i don't think that was actually francis conroy's voice to be honest uh it was definitely evan peters voice it seemed but it was awesome. It was what, what a wonderful yeah. introduction. So much so that I even wrote down no matter what they do, how evil they are. I love them and I don't care.
0: I love this too. This had a little bit of uh, Twin Peaks vibes for me where there's like a little bit of a creepy musical interlude. Yes. Um, and I love that because that is another show that I absolutely adore. The first season, especially, and so I was like, "Ooh, this is this is what a great way for characters to be brought in." And of course, then we meet Bella Noir, or Belle Noir, Belle Noir who yeah. is the famous romance author, uh, played by Francis Conroy, and we meet Austin Summers, who is the famous Peabody Award playwright, woman, um, playwright played by Evan Peters, and three
1: you know, Tonys th- and one Peabody. Are you kidding me?
0: Oh, they're killing it. They're killing it. I mean, and you can see it in their houses later on. And they call, you know, Harry over to the table. And you know, he he feels a little bit um inadequate. He it's clear he's feeling inadequate at this point. He's been struggling to get writing. And they basically kind of invite him into their group and they kind of say, you know, we're all writers here. We come to the Cape, we come to Provincetown to uh unleash our creative muse and we've been doing it for years and you'll be able to do it too we have a lot of confidence in this Um, even after harry confesses his his writer's block they promise him it's going to be short-lived and that conversation is going until we see tuberculosis karen run back in and again warns harry to stay away from these uh quote-unquote blood-sucking motherfuckers which i was like wow we're using a lot of uh the f-word on fx which i didn't even know we could do
1: so many, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, at this point, I even wrote in my notes, like, is this foreshadowing? Because, it, I mean, at this point, it seemed like we were getting hit with it yep. pretty clearly. And obviously, yeah. as we go on, it becomes more clear. Uh, because not soon after, of course, we see Mickey sleeping, uh, sleeping, I think, with yeah. Belle. But it's it's not just that. It's, it's about, you know, it's a vampire type thing. She slices his arm open and sucks the blood. And he kind of very true blood, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Good point. It, Meanwhile, wait, oh, go ahead. First. Real,
1: just one one point. Um, it's really awesome to see that they are doing. So traditionally, like we talk about um, Jack Torrance and this a lot. Um, it's awesome to see writers, quote unquote, being actually like not just novelists. It's it's actually like screenwriters, playwrights, and romance novelists. Not not some like. What we what we want to think about the traditional like American novel, the Great whatever. American novel, yeah, exactly. Which we do, which
0: of course we do we do reference yes. um, Norman Mailer, the famous P town resident who you know says it's the place people go to find out what they're made of. I think Evan Peters, I think Austin Summers quotes that at the table. But you're right, I, I also like that. It was, was interesting, a holistic view of writers.
1: Clearly, be, this is a very Ryan Murphy, Brian Falchuk, like let's talk about different writers these in this era. I think.
0: And different types of art too. Yeah. And different types of art. True. Including tattoo artists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we get this scene obviously with Mickey and with Bella and not long after that we get a phone call to tuberculosis Karen that Oof. you know Yeah, this is it's it's pretty dark, you know, and, and we hear Belle's voice and she says, You have three hours. And before we know it, Karen is going to Belle's house with a bag. We don't know what's in it. It's like, is it a cat? Is it a rodent of some kind? Uh, Belle gives I thought, her it, drugs was, I thought it was lo- the
1: fox that we've seen. Yeah, yeah, because we keep
0: seeing like this this, this fox in, in the dunes. And you know, we learn that basically Belle offers Karen drugs and protection from the mighty pale people um, for whatever service she provides in this instance. And we quickly learn, right. it seems that she's kidnapped a baby.
1: Yeah. As as she's walking out, it sounds like a baby, which at that point in my notes, I wrote, well, fuck her. Sorry. (laughs) Like that's (laughs) I actually now do hate her. I said I wouldn't. Yeah, I do. I
0: know she's I mean, you know. She's supposed to be sympathetic, and we're supposed to feel for her situation. But oof, that's pretty bad. Also, wouldn't you think that there would be some if if babies are disappearing all over Province down in the Cape? Don't you think we would know a little bit more about that? But again, suspension of disbelief here. Yeah,
1: yeah. Here, here's where where American Horror Story kind of falters sometimes. Where where eh, you know, yeah. everyone generally would recognize this unless it's a one time incident. That if it was a one-time incident, then it'd be like crazy. But if it's, if this is happening all the time, then yeah, that would be.
0: We get yeah. I feel like we get the insinuation that Karen is regularly snagging babies, babies to bring back to them. May, I mean, maybe they're all you know from homeless people and drug addicts and things. They're kind of people who slipped through the cracks. You know, we we could yeah come up with some rationalization, but hard to say. Um, Of course, not long after this, Harry gets in that fight after he's back from the restaurant in the house with the pale person and smashes his face in brutally Mm -hmm. um, right there in the house. You know, the cops come and take the body the next morning. Uh, Chief Burleson, again, just thinks that he's a tweaker. Uh, Even though, you know, at this point, it's getting really suspicious that she's not more, like, thinking something else is going on. Because if you look pretty closely at the pale person, you'll be like, well, why does this? It's a very odd-looking, unhuman-type-looking person with sharp teeth. So what exactly
1: is happening? She knows here? what's going on. There, she, There's something she knows, right? She has to. She has to. But, you know,
0: at, at the end of the day, and fair enough, Harry and Doris and Alma, they feel like they need to leave. But just before they are about to... Harry gets a call from Austin Summers. And of course, you know, he's he's still trying to finish this pilot. He's not going to let this chance to talk to this famous playwright slip through his fingers. So he goes to Austin Summers, just like gorgeous, beautiful beach house. And, you know, Austin claims to have something that is going to help Harry get over his writer's block. Uh, That thing is this mystery black pill that apparently helps artists and writers Find their muse. And Harry tells a story about a friend who got him on the black pills. And Harry pressed him for, well, Harry starts pressing Austin for like, what's the catch of this? And I start taking these. And basically what Austin tells him is, does it matter? You know, if you have the hunger to to write or to pursue your art, you will do anything for it. And he says, you'd rather die than keep all those wonderful uh, wonderful, wonderful words bottled up inside of you. Sure enough, not long after Harry Harry thinks that he's going to abstain. And he's he's he can avoid, you know, pulling himself into a habit that he, you know it gets could have the potential of getting addicted or whatever. But then his agent, Ursula, played by Leslie Grossman. So again, Yay. we are just running through awesome cast of all our faves here. Yep. Calls him and she pretty brutally tears into him for not having made more progress as pilot. Uh, doesn't, you know. Harry, who's kind of like caught off guard by this, doesn't even get to the point of explaining that he just murdered a man Thank in you. his house the other night.
1: Thank you, Tyler. Because I was like, dude, <laughs> tell her you just had to murder someone in your house. You can write somewhere else, dude. You can write somewhere else.
0: <laughs> but instead, she just tells him that his future is doomed if he doesn't write. And of course, he takes the pills Yeah. while Alma watches from the stairs and see. That is... Episode one. Uh, So much to talk about there. So much to digest. We're smack dab already deep into a whole new horror scenario. Tell me, what were your thoughts and feelings about episode one, Cape Fear? Yeah, I just want to hear it.
1: I loved it. (laughs) I loved it. Maybe it's because it's been two years, but I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I thought the direction was really great. The angles, they hit it correctly. Like it just felt like, like the, like home in the way that we know, uh, American Horror Story episodes should be shot. Classic. Um, it was a good introduction to all, to most of our characters in the town that we're going to, I'm assuming going to interact with throughout the entire season. So I love that. I'm sure we're going to meet some more along the way. I just hope we don't meet a shitload more. <laughs> but I like that we have met a lot of the main players. I hope it stays small. My critique would be, I think it moved too fast in the sense that we saw the monsters too quickly. Like a, a tease of seeing the, the, the fang tooth guy, the pale person in the cemetery would be good. But the fact that he chased them all the over the house and then we saw them multiple times and their groups of them like multiple times. I think that was a little too much. I, I wish it had been yeah. a little more like built up uh, like a movie would have done. Um, that's one of my issues with it. But um, kind of like murder, murder House and Asylum also kind of like built up to it. It was, it was, it was you know, it had this trajectory of like we're going to get to that. But there's some spooky things along the way that we're uh, sprinkling along. That being said, I loved it. Um, I thought it was really good. And would you like me to give my Black Pills review? Yeah, give your Black Pills review. I give this four and a half Black Pills. I really, yeah, I really liked it. I thought this was awesome. Again, you heard my critiques on like what I wish would have been a little different, but I really liked it. Tyler, what did you think?
0: I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here and there's a reason for it. Okay. So I love it. I recently read an article. I recently read an article in the Atlantic that was talking about why did the Mandalorian as a show in the Star Wars universe, like get such acclaim and people love it so dearly while so many, it, like, and it gave you a sense that felt familiar, kind of reaching back to the original three Star Wars. Whereas, you know, there's been so many other Star Wars movies that have been made And, you know, none has quite hit the notes in the same way and pull people in the same way that The Mandalorian has. And the theory that this article kind of runs with is that, you know, beyond actual storyline, which, of course, that's an important element too. what the original Star Wars did is it brought you it like really painted a world for you, a world that like had all these different like, you know, facets to it. And it, it was like it was such scene setting. Um, And it brought you into this place. And that's what The Mandalorian does, too, is, you know, in all the different episodes, he's traveling to different planets and you're getting immersed in these different worlds and learning about the different nuances of them and the way that people interact and the politics of them and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, I feel like for me, my favorite episodes or my favorite seasons of American Horror Story are the ones that have this deep sense of place. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we spent a lot of time with that, like Provincetown was a character in mm-hmm. this, you know, first episode, and I feel like you know we talked about the you know the history of it. We talked about the summer and the you know in the off season. Um, we talked about the history with opioids and all that, and I feel like. I don't, it was very it was very pervasive in that sense. And I felt like it brought a lot to the episode and it had this strong environment. And it was like, ooh. I mean, living so close, I'm like, no, I need to go back to Provincetown. And like <laughs> yeah like, maybe I should go in the winter and see if I can find my muse. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it, it, I don't know. It, it has this power over it. And I thought it was awesome. So I absolutely loved it too. Fantastic um, I point. thought the, mm-hmm, I thought it was great to see so many of our favorite actors back. I thought the acting was phenomenal. I thought the directing was so good. The writing was excellent. Um, so you know, coming off of uh, Game Over, which we were not quite as thrilled with Brad Murphy or sorry Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk's writing work, <laughs> I thought this episode was terrific and full of fantastic lines. So I'm gonna even go a punch up from you and put 4.75 black pills behind this episode, Ooh. which is a whopping 9.25 I think for this first episode That's of the season, a. which is pretty pretty good. Um, one last question before we move on to episode two, Pale is why do you think they named this episode Cape Fear, which seems to quite clearly be a you know reference to the Scorsese movie? Do you have any it thoughts? That's,
1: I mean, I, the only reason is because Jessica Lang starred in that movie. Um, I mean, not as the star in that movie, but she was in that movie. Um, I don't know. I mean, because that movie is about um, a, a prosecutor, or no, a defense, a, a defense attorney who... Put away. I also, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. But I, but I did see that people were talking about it. And it was about a, a defense attorney who was defending Robert De Niro for a, I think it was a rape of a, of a teenager or something like that. And uh, muddled the case and the evidence enough because he thought that Robert De Niro's character was an alpha person but Robert De Niro comes back and is actually like realizes how his defense attorney muddled the case. And Jessica Lang plays the wife of the, um, of, the of the defense attorney. That being said, maybe it's just because of the location. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's like, you know, it was like 1984 where we were like, is there a connection to something else? And maybe there's not, um, but you know, it's, it, they they picked it for a reason even if it was yeah. just to toy with toy with us a little bit.
1: Tyler, I have one question for you before we move on to episode 2, which is would you take the black pill? Not like at this point in oh, at this man. point at this point in the episode, in episode 1, not knowing what the repercussions are, would you take that pill?
0: Not knowing what the repercussions are, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> knowing that it might lead me to eat babies, yeah, that makes me re- like, then, yeah. then hell no. I mean, that's pretty terrible. But, you know, if I'm just thinking that it's going to be something that's going to like speak to my writing news. And especially if I'm having writer's block on deadline, looking for that thing that's good. You know, How it's always desperate that thing we all
1: are for like just like finishing that. To get your creative deliver. spark
0: going. Exactly.
1: Yeah, How about you? Um, I've I i do not know. I don't know. I don't know if I would. I kind of. I think I would. I think I would. But also, uh, we didn't mention this, but the bar that um, Harry goes to is called the Muse, which is obviously like kind of eye rolling, but also cool that they do that. Yeah. But if Evan Peters and Francis Conroy are offering you a pill, <laughs> would you do it? I mean, like, you kind of would, right? Well, so, the, kinda well would. so that's
0: the thing you got to keep in mind, too, is you're it's being offered by this guy who, you know, has won three Tonys and a Peabody. So it's yeah. like you're, you're basically it'd be it'd be the same thing as if, you know, J.K. Rowling or Stephen King or John Grisham or somebody who's like incredibly, you know, has had incredible success in whatever field yeah. that you are, you know, wanting is like, yeah, this is how I did it. Then, of course, or you know George R.R. Martin, there's going to be like, well. You know, we know he has writing (laughs) issues too, but maybe he needs a black pill. He went to our (laughs) school. He did. He went to our, he did go to our school. Um, Yeah. He needs a black pill, (laughs) but yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know that I would have, if you don't know what the consequences are at that point, like I think Austin makes a good argument, which is like, you know, are you going to be able to live like not knowing, you know, what it would have been like to get those words out on the page and...
1: This is a good question that they like pose, you know, is the, you know, if you don't know what the trade off is going to be, are you willing to risk the unknown for success? And it sounds like they're, 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 they're also like framing it. Like you want fame, like, like I think you and I are more people that like, we like, we like success in the sense of like people read our stuff. And people want to, and and people make choices in their life about what you report on or write on or whatever. Um, These people are more like in the TV. Well, well, Harry's in the TV realm where you can try. Well, this is. I wonder if this is like a conversation that they're trying to have for Ryan Murphy and Brian and uh, Brad Falchuk about being like, hey, like, let's. You know, acknowledge the writers and what we want. But what's your dream if you're doing that? Do you want to influence culture or do you want to be famous? I don't want to be famous. You don't want to be famous. We want to, I feel, feel like we want to, like, make money. But we also want I mean, to, like,
0: Of course, making money is nice. But, yeah, like, put out stories into the world that people appreciate. They you appreciate, know Or interested yeah.
1: in or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's yeah. that's a that's a deeper Chris and Tally conversation <laughs> for another time. It is,
0: it is. You know what? After I watched this episode and I thought this more as we got into a second episode, this season is shaping up to be like a bizarro hybrid between the Shining, True Blood, and like that movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that one?
1: Yeah, so, I remember that. I like that
0: movie. Yeah, it's like a it's a it's an interesting mishmash and I kind of appreciate like the um you know strange hybrid of influences. Hmm. So okay, let's talk about yes. Let's dive into it. Everyone, two, everyone
1: listening at this point, if you've not seen episode two, stop listening now. Watch episode two and then come back right now.
0: That's right. We're gonna give you three seconds. Three, two, one. All right. Let's talk about episode two. Pale. I want to say before I dive into this that we got a in between episodes email from Ooh. Joe. Uh, who reached out to say that he thinks that his his theory right now, uh, and he wanted to call this between episodes, which I thought was very impressive to be emailing like in between episodes, is that Harry is writing the plot for what will become Death Valley for the second half of the season. And that's what his pilot oh, is.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. That's
0: brilliant. And I kind of feel like at this point, after having heard that, if that's not what happens, I'm kind of going to be pissed. <laughs> Oh Lord! Yeah, that's that's a great. Who is it, job. Joe? So, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. One. That was that's excellent.
1: Uh, Chris, Joe, do you, you want you, to take that's us through? Awesome. Oh, that's awesome, ahead. Joe. But you also may have just ruined it. So, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs>
0: Love you. Um, hey, that's yeah. what that's what our job here is: predicting cold open, hypotheses, analysis. Take us through the cold open, Chris.
1: All right, Harry is feeling the effect of the pills. Clearly, um, the black pill. The black pill. Uh, he gets out of his car, and we get like, uh, we get Jack Torrance vibes for sure. Uh, Alma's playing the violin, and like the really, yeah, yeah, very well. Also, like I saw, I saw a meme the other day that was like millennials uh, with anxiety um, are like so. Um, you want me to do this, but I need to be the best. So I'm now gonna have anxiety. It's like a millennial thing. In and, and Alma is not a millennial, clearly, but she's definitely giving those vibes off.
0: Well that's what I was gonna ask you, and we're cutting into this part, but like, why do you how do you think Alma got to the point as a child of her age that she is so obsessively driven to be that good at violin? No. I mean her, it has to be from her parents, right?
1: It I mean, you assume like like there's nature versus nurture, but like she's incredibly talented and her parents obviously are well her dad again when we meet them they are not that frustrated with their careers they're just trying to like do good things they're rich enough to live in new york city to afford to well go to a three-month free stay for doris to have a uh three-month free rent to design the house but i mean that's one thing but like that's like Upper middle class in New York, at least at the minimum, like they're fine. They're doing fine. And the way they interact with their daughters, no way shows or demonstrates that she is pressured to be the best. Not at all. And she seems sweet, you know. So that's a little bit of a weird writing situation that doesn't make sense yet. Maybe it will. We'll see some things. Obviously, in this second episode, things sort of unfold a little bit. But
0: I mean, you know, we start to see over the course of this episode and last episode that both Doris and Harry are driven in their own ways. I mean, to to our point just a minute ago, Harry is so driven enough to write that perfect pilot that he's willing to take the black pill, not knowing what it's going to do to him. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's almost a little bit of that also reminds me. It's like a little bit of Matrix vibes, too. It's like he got red pilled, you know? Um,
1: correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in the first episode, didn't they say that she, or that he had sold the pilot, but he needed, he needed to be reworked or something like that. Yeah. There was like significant rewrites that needed to be. Yeah. Or so that's why he's actually in Provincetown. Anyway. Um, yeah, I wrote like, she's playing the violin really well. And he's like, I can't handle this. Uh, I was like Is she a millennial. Anyway. Um, but Alma tells Doris that Daddy took a pill because she saw it. like, And she says it's like Adderall. Uh, and maybe she might want to take one, which clearly they're hinting at that. <laughs> um, and Doris is like, are you on speed? <laughs> um, and he thinks she's accusing him of taking speed and like being drunk to you know, do something. And we have no inclination at all that he's someone who chooses vices to get through his writing or to uh, uh, influence his writing. Um, But he gets very defensive. And Alma says that she saw him take something and Harry says he snaps and he becomes a total freaking dick and says, like, you're just jealous of me because you, like, you can't play Pagani. Or Paganini, sorry, Paganini, uh, who's this, like, incredibly talented uh, um, Italian uh, violinist. Um, and at that point, when I'm watching this, I'm like, wow, wow, fuck you. Really? You're competing with your daughter? Crazy. Just super absurd. Anyway he's 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 rolling on his uh, macbook and he's like i'm doing episode two right now like he's super like uh inspired but he immediately tells doris that if they leave it'll be hard for her to get a job and he's accusing her of not being able to get a job because of what happened the last time and we don't know what happened last time she know, gives a,
0: you know she gives us a great rant about monochromatic blush color yes. schemes, which are very now, quote unquote.
1: He's yeah, he's she's like, you be able on the last one, and and she says, because of the situation of the people that she was working for. And she we didn't mention this in the first episode, but like she was a school teacher before this. Um and he says, like, why can't you just support me? Essentially. And then that's the cold open. So it we, is, and
0: we start to get this career tension between yes. the two of them that was maybe hinted at at the beginning becomes a lot more clear in this episode. Yeah. And I think that'll become even more vivid in episodes to come between them. Because, um, you know, they're both creatives at heart in different ways, and there's a lot of, like, you know, I think this... It, it, and With Alma, too, there's this first snap from Harry where it's like, you're just jealous of how talented I am, and I think this is going to be something we see resurfacing. Because clearly it's like a defensive spot for all of them. And... It certainly is a defensive spot for Doris, who's pretty self-conscious about, you know, doing a successful job on this house that she's been commissioned to redecorate um, and is struggling with it and is struggling with it. Before we dive into the meat of the episode, I wanted to call out there's a different director for this episode, Loni uh, Paristeer. Lonnie Paristeer, who has done many episodes of American Horror Story before. He did some episodes of American Horror Stories, so a longtime alum from the series, but we switched up from... Uh, John J. Gray, who did the first episode. Right. Uh, moving into what happens next, Harry's transforming to a certain extent, right? Um, we saw it at the beginning of the episode where he gets like these flashes in his head of meat. Um, he can't eat normal food anymore. Turkey tastes disgusting to him.
1: Sandwich sucks. Throws it away. Can't do it.
0: Mm-hmm. He's becoming really, really selfish and bizarrely obsessive. But... Obsessed to the point where he's writing like really phenomenal stuff we're not it's not any you know, even Doris um,
1: sees that she reads a few lines and she's like wow this is really good
0: exactly it's no uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy over mm. and over again on, on, <laughs> on the typewriter it's like really good stuff but she you know it's, it's clear she can tell he's high she can tell he's on something um, and I think he's kind of pissed by that even he's like it shouldn't matter as long as I'm producing the quality of amazing writing I am that kind of let you know be me be so he goes out on the streets uh, to the grocery store because he's starving because he hasn't been able to eat anything since he's had this transformation. He comes across more bloodsuckers and they leave him alone now because he's taking the pills. We kind of get this; it's a very another kind of very creepy scene where we see the the creatures like sniffing him and kind of circling around him but not touching him. Uh, I don't know. It was uh, it was a little witchcrafty.
1: Have you seen the movie Thirty Days of Night? 30 days of night yeah no oh my gosh so these creatures remind me of that so 30 days of night is a great horror movie starring josh hartnett you remember josh hartnett oh of course yeah he was
0: also in 40 days and 40 nights (laughs) (laughs) very different movie
1: so 30 days of night is um i think they live in alaska and it's 30 days out there where it's just complete darkness because of where they're geographically located. And, um, during that time, the vampires, cause they can be in the darkness come down and they just like prey on this town. And, uh, he's like the sheriff of the town or something like that, or the County. And, uh, the actual people, the pale people who we know in, um, uh, double feature are, look very similar. Well, not very similar, but they look similar and they have the same like uh, praying presence around the houses, which is exactly what happens in the 30s of Night, which is a, actually a phenomenal movie, a horror movie. I recommend watching it. It's really good. And they're there for 30 nights and everyone is hiding in their homes in this small town in like the, in the attics, like oh, away from the vampires.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what I'll have to add to my list then. Yeah, it is very creepy the way they do it and they like kind of sense him and, you know, we get the realization that because he's taking the pill, he's like one of them now to a certain extent or something, so they leave him be, you know, his his blood doesn't have the same power it did before. Very 30 enemies.
1: days of night in a certain way. Mm, that's a teaser.
0: <laughs> back at the grocery store, you know, he loads up on red meat and runs back into TB Karen who goes nuts on him again uh, in a way that's just awesome. I think she's Love like, a, we see like spittle flying from her mouth in this scene. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but it's like, Oh, you, you know, you, I told you not to, you took it. Why'd you take it? You stupid, idiot? you know what I mean? Um, so she knows what's up. She can sense it. Obviously, also soaking the grocer. When you see like him buying all the meat, the grocer's like, Oh yeah. So you must be uh, one of them. Ro- those writer types. Um, then we get a really nasty scene back at home where he makes this meat milkshake. Oh. Uh, there's no milk. It's just a it's just a meat smoothie, I guess. It's
1: so gross. Uh,
0: that's that's real nasty. Um, yeah, but you know it's enough to keep it's enough to fuel him to keep him going. Meanwhile, Doris and Alma want to leave, but he's like too sucked in now. Um, this new part of his brain has been unlocked. He tries to describe it to Doris. And he, basically, he just can't take the, well, he needs access to the pills, we know, to keep going at this pace. But also he just doesn't, he doesn't, he's, he's not able to pull his attention away long enough from his writing to really even comprehend what's going on around him much more than that. Until uh, Doris cuts her finger and then he like pounces Oof. on it, sucking up that blood.
1: It's just hunger he can't control. I mean, at this point, you got to be like, if you're Doris, you're like, I'm out. I'm out.
0: I should, but she's pregnant. You know, we don't know. Maybe her family is really far away. She doesn't have family to go to, and she's kind of all or, or friends, and she's kind of all alone. And way to be she's a got Doris a I don't know. I got I got feels for Doris. She's doing the best she can in a really tough situation.
1: <laughs> she is. You know. She is. Mm-hmm. She's got to protect her unborn baby and her seven-year-old.
0: Yeah. And I mean, she's been with Harry for a while. We figure they've got a seven year old. So, you know, there's history there. He's acting very uncharacteristic. She's trying to be supportive of his writing. Um, You know, she's doing the best she can. So that's how it's going. Meanwhile, Harry goes back to Austin's place to learn more about the pills. And we kind of find out the, you know, we get more backstory from Austin here. We find out that the weird kind of pale people are untalented people who took the pills, who were like, could have potentially, if they had the talent to actually follow through on creating beautiful art, that they would have, be, you know, done so. But because they didn't have that talent, they like become these weird creatures, these hairless, bodiless creatures, which is kind of a strange and funny concept. Um, we also learn that the, the pill was created by the chemist which uh we know that we'll see later is angelica ross coming up in a future episode so that's something kind of exciting and has been teased and that the only way to get over um whatever the pills are doing is you can stop taking the pills it sounds like and but it means that you're not going to be successful anymore so we learn later that austin and um bell only come you know they 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 come. They take the pills like during the winter at the Cape. They produce a ton of impressive writing. Then they go back to their normal lives for, I don't know, eight nine months, and then they come back and do it all over again. So we kind of get the rules of the world a little bit from Austin
1: here. This is so Real Housewives of New York. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I mean, they all go to the Hamptons for for the summer, and then they come back and they do their silly lives.
0: Well, this feeds into this this comment that we got from Stephen, which I was thinking something similar, and he put it in better words, is that this whole thing that we're seeing, it really is kind of an allegory for the rich feeding off of the suffering of others during the opioid crisis. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they, we talk about these poor people who are kind of, again, falling through the cracks of society, and we have these wealthy people like Austin and Bell who go and find them on Craigslist, track them down, and suck their blood because no one will ever know they're gone, or they'll think it's related to drugs and a drug deal gone wrong, or this or that, and it's very much, you know, uh, a, a metaphor, or you know, for drug companies and investors and things like that taking advantage of people who got hooked on these things, you know. And, so and
1: the and the class system that this whole works on, you know, the even even though um, we're talking about uh, Harry, who's a writer and he doesn't have a. Uh, he's he still a pilot, and he works for the the traditional like CSI, NCIS type type stuff, uh, type shows. He's still like fairly. I mean, that's that's a good business to be in, and if he's a writer for that, he's doing okay. Um, but you're sucking off the blood of the writers who are trying really hard, who are successful. Also, this is really funny to hear from, to see this happening in the acting world from Ryan Murphy, who hires nepot in, through nepotism. In a way, he he in in, in one of his like he, he hires a lot of wonderful people, but he often hires the up and coming people who are like the Kaya Gerbers, and I mean honestly the um, the uh, Harris Jackson. Paris Jackson and Lily Rabe is one of them back in the day yes she's 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 part of that and um, who am I blanking on Billy Lord like she's mm-hmm. like royalty in a way and like Billy Lord we talked about this in American Horror Stories how she is like come up and she's amazing we love her um, so it's, it's part of like you know, there's also a lot of actresses and actors who are really trying hard, but they don't get picked because they don't have fancy parents or writers who don't have fancy parents as well.
0: It's true. It's true. I will say, though, for this bigger message about the opioid crisis and the rich feeding off of that and all that kind of stuff. That's better. Let's than take a moment. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I I, think you're making a good point, too. But for, for all this stuff, let's take a moment to applaud their subtlety in kind of this political message, because it's something we often complain about in American Horror Story seasons is it hits True. you over the head a little too, uh, I mean, it's just a little too blatantly with whatever the political message is. So to get it uh, as more subtext uh, has been kind of, I don't know, refreshing in a certain way.
1: I agree. This, again, this is why these first few episodes have been pretty fantastic to me. Yeah,
0: I agree. Soon after this, Harry's you know gets the phone call from Ursula that, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is now attached to his pilot and is willing to work for free, <laughs> and Which, he's getting a Netflix deal. He's so, willing to work so, for su- vegan food. <laughs> <laughs> so, so success is raining down on on Harry already. So this happened in the blink of an eye, and you know it's the poison of success is what we're seeing happen. Um, I do also want to point out that the theme song of House plays is he looks at that blank screen again and decides he needs to go get more pills, um, which, which that's that's what I associate that song with. But yeah, man, that blinking cursor. It's intimidating. It provokes him. He needs to get it. He, he's, he's become a success junkie at this point, right? He needs to go re-up and, and get his fix. He's hungry. So he comes back to, yeah, exactly. Um, he's, he's literally addicted to success. And that's when he goes back and he talks to Belle and Austin again. And that's when they take their veneers off and they show them who they really are. They've got the sharp teeth. I mean, what's interesting to think about all this stuff with like the veneers and the sharp teeth and, you know, we go to the Billy Lord's dentist soon is that they are. They are choosing to turn themselves into monsters, whereas the people who are not successful, who take the pills, get transformed into these things as a, like a side effect but they're like, no, we need to be able to better suck the blood out of human beings. So we are choosing to like, grind our teeth into points. Um, I don't know. There's just something pretty powerful about that thought when you get down to it. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, you think about the, again, I'm going to the actors and actresses that have to, or in the past, the um, the casting couch. You know, like what you have to do to get to where you want to be. I'm hoping that's changed. And it seems like it's changing with the Harvey Weinstein situation. Obviously I'm getting like kind of dark, but like, you know what, what you do to get where you are, as opposed to being altruistic and saying like, no, I'm getting, I'm an actual like artist and this is what I believe in. And we get, we get into that shortly.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and so then, you know, obviously they go feeding, all that happens, and Harry finds himself participating, even though he didn't really want to. But he feels better afterward, even if he feels shameful for having done it. Right. Uh, soon after, he goes to see Dr. Feldman, who is Billy Lord's dentist, who also is really has a tattoo shop. And we find out that she's been taking muse pills in order to have incredible tattoo designs. Uh, but she does black market dental work with her chair in the back, which is kind of I mean, I love creepy it. and badass. She's so dope. I'm such a fan. So that's great. I'm excited to see how she kind of fits into the story moving forward too. But yeah, we get that kind of gross scene where his, his with his teeth getting sharpened. A uh, couple other things that are happening kind of simultaneously at the point here. We get a very sweet and poignant scene at Mickey's house between him and TB Karen.
1: Oh. Where
0: they get high on crystal meth and start theorizing about Jaws, which we should point out happens on Martha's Vineyard, which is just off the coast of Cape Cod. It's very close by.
1: Also, um, they, referenced, learned, they yeah. also referenced uh, Jaws 2, and he's like, oh, that was in Florida, though. So, like, you know, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, not even cool. That wasn't that wasn't Love our it. space. It was it a was mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. horror movie reference.
0: Yeah. And we learned that Mickey is a writer, too, but has follow-through issues. We also learned that T.B. Karen is a painter. So there's, I mean, it's a society and a community yeah. of... Artistic creators, in one way or another, including a lot of them that just struggle to actually follow, th- you know, come through with it. But we quickly also find out that Mickey stole some pills from Belle, and he's like, We should take these and we could have Success. this kind of future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Karen doesn't want to, though. She doesn't want to, but, you know, even after this whole sweet scene between them, Mickey decides he's going to indulge. And she's worried about him because she's worried he doesn't have the talent to become. The artist he wants to be. Of course, we find out he does, and that's kind of exciting. And to your point, he might, you know, it'll, we'll see where his story goes from here. Um, but Karen doesn't. And why do you think Karen is so, has this aversion? Is it because of the stuff she's had to do for Bella that's just kind of so
1: deplorable? I think she's either like taken one pill before and had a taste of it and realized what the stakes were. Um, or she's seen it play out and she's kind of like our hero in this sense and I thought Mickey might be that too obviously he takes one pill and, and that's kind of a little annoying because when the two were having their moment I thought that this was going to be a, a scene where we see two people who are actually like talented artists like, like dealing with the situation of not being taking the easy way to get to the top even though, like artists, we don't always want to be—I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm saying us—we don't always want to be at the top. We just want to have some—we uh, want to have some hold in culture where we did something that meant something. We don't need to have the money or the fame. And I—I I feel like they were there like that, and I feel like that is what Karen is like. But Mickey has seen it. It's just weird that he's doing it at this moment, because he's well, you know, like he's been there for a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe he hadn't been able to actually get his hands on the pills before, or something like that. But you that's know,
1: that's true. That's true. That's true.
0: Karen, Karen is like, well, you know, who knows what it'll turn you into? And I mean, Mickey makes a point where he's like, hey, look around me. You know, this is I live in squalor. You know what I mean? Like, is it really gonna be any worse than, than this, even if I do become a pale person? Like, I'm not living my best life here. It's I'm a prostitute mm. living in a shack mm-hmm. on you know, Cape Cod in winter. So yeah. yeah, I feel for him. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, you know, meanwhile Harry, after his teeth is sharpened, is his he's like really embraced he's becoming full. He, as soon as you go feature, get your teeth
1: like like shift, like you're you have embraced what you're doing now.
0: Oh, of course. And Then he goes to the Dick Duck and kills either a pimp or a prostitute. The I'm not sure exactly what role yeah. this guy's playing, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he, he's full on by this point. You top or bottom? Back at, Neither. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Back at the house, though, we knew this was coming. Alma's frustrated with her violin playing. She mm. takes the pills, and lo and behold. She becomes a violin kind of master um, just as Doris continues to flow with her creative endeavors in the house. And you see her coming and talking to Alma and Alma has an outburst very similar to Harry's at the beginning where she's like, you don't understand greatness. Like I, dad and I do mom. You're just, you like this at hell. I mean, she gets especially cruel and I it made me ask at this point in time, how soon till Doris takes the pills? Or do you think Doris is going to be our holdout that doesn't take the pills?
1: I think for the next few episodes, Doris is going to be our holdout. Um, th- th- there's so many jokes about her, like putting gray on gray on gray on beige on beige on beige. Um, I, I, it, the, the way they're putting her up as a character is that she likes what she does, but she's not driven by ambition. I mean, she does like, the the instagram ishness of it but the way she's been a character around her family is very supportive of uh harry and uh alma i i i really hope she doesn't do that and if she does do it then it's you know what what am i saying it's american horror story she's gonna do it (laughs) she's gonna probably do it and then, What's going to
0: happen to her baby in utero?
1: <laughs> well, and that's the thing, because that's, I think, the end game of what we're going for. We had the in episode one where, not hyperdynamic Sally, but tuberculosis Karen <laughs> <laughs> delivers a baby in a sack. I'm assuming it's a baby to uh, Belle Noir, oh. and she wants that. So I my whole thing is I'm assuming that they want the baby because that's like maybe like extra protein or blood or whatever. Um, yeah. So if that happens, I I hope it doesn't happen because I want someone to be a good person in this, but it's also American Horror Story. So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And speaking of good people versus not so good people, we see, Harry and Doris's relationship is is kind of at the brink of explosion at the end. He's back to writing on it again. He doesn't care that Alma went for a walk in the town where Which is he absurd. knows those creatures are at. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe he knows that she took the pills and she's protected and doesn't care at this point. I mean, you know, it, it, he's clearly not thinking straight, but she's on the world. Doris is not thrilled that that's been the case, runs out to find her and goes back to the cemetery where there's a bunch of pale people hovering. They love the cemetery for whatever reason. And we find Alma hovering over a grave, eating the remains of an animal, like some kind of feral creature. Some animal. yep. And that is where episode two comes to a close. Uh, Final thoughts, Chris, how did you feel
1: about episode two? Uh, I also love this episode. I thought it was really good. Um, a few things to point out. Um, I think there's been a great use of the violin as an instrument throughout the first episode and the second episode. Um, I think that the Browns, the Browns, uh, the family that are renting this house to the Gardner family, they're gonna play into something at some point because I'm curious why they would give this house for three months to this family for free.
0: Yeah, agree, agree.
1: So there's something happening there. Um obviously what's gonna happen with Alma is gonna be really interesting. So I'm I'm interested. I'm intrigued to see what happens there. Um uh, this second episode was directed fantastically as well. Lonnie did a great job Loved it. Um ov- overall it was really good. Um I think I would so I said four point five for the first one. I would give this four point two five. I think it's good. I'm I 4.25. What did we say the first one? What was the
0: We came up uh, we did black pills, but we can call them Muse Pills for this one because
1: now we know they're muse pills if we want. 4.25 Muse Pills for this one. Mm. I thought it was great. I loved it. Yeah. What did you what? It, what would you give it? What do you think?
0: I also really enjoyed this episode. I liked that we. I mean, I think that it was fun that we. I know that we. You know, you felt like in the first episode we got a little bit too much of the creatures to begin with, but this episode we didn't get hardly any of them, and it was much mm-hmm. more immediately diving into the human flaws that kind of are provoked when people take these pills. And there's, I mean we're getting into social issues and the psychology of like, whether or not would you take the pill? I mean, um, and the outputs of it and it's the family dynamics are so interesting. Uh, It's a lot more interpersonal and relationship scares to a certain extent, you know, Uh, imagine being Doris and like learning that your child is taking these pills that are going to make it eat rodents off the street and stuff like that. I mean, and your husband, I I don't know. It's, it's starting to become kind of new psychological angles that I like as well. I have to say that it, I, I'm going to take mine down a quarter point two just because first episode of the season is what the first, like it's the scene setter. It's what he really hits you. And so it's, it's hard to be like exactly the same, but I think it's a 4.5 for me. Uh, I thought it was excellent. I really enjoyed it as well. I think it was great to see Billy Lord for the first time, get a little bit more of Leslie Grossman. I'm sure the two mm-hmm. of them will get even more. And that scene between um, tuberculosis, Karen and, uh mickey in in the shack was like that was phenomenal that was some great acting i thought it It was great heartfelt it was so good yeah everyone's been just really excellent up until this point so that's quite quite solid i would say so Um, what is that for uh nine yeah right now you give it a quarter and i give it a half is that right so it's eight and three
1: quarters and if you round up, it's a nine.
0: Mm-hmm, there you go. Um,
1: I will say, we, we haven't talked about Leslie Grossman too much, but it was really cool to see. And that we know she's going to show up into town at some point. I'm excited to see that happen. Um, yeah. Uh, the music also, um, uh, there was a Wanda Jackson song that was played in the second episode that was super tight. Um, and i really liked was that,
0: that the record was that the record at um austin's house
1: i think so funnel of love i think it was and i have that album and it's really good <laughs> it, uh, on vinyl <laughs> um yeah i think it was when he when yeah when uh he showed up this to get the next pill yeah uh, so no, good. The, yeah yeah the music's been great too I, there's but also to like. what's what's not to like Massive Attack was in one of them. I'm looking at my... I need to look at, Massive Massive Attack was in the second episode. And then uh, Patty Patty Page, I think, was in the first episode. It yeah, was just... The music should, is beautiful. It's excellent. Well chosen.
0: Somebody needs to start building a double feature playlist and we can get some Kenny Rogers yes. and Dolly Parton on there too.
1: Or Francis and Evan. or or Francis and Evan we'll put quotes around Francis since we don't know I prefer Kenny and Dolly but yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) awesome well that's a wrap on our first two episodes of this season thrilled to be back with you all Uh, wow we've got you know all the rest of Red Tide left and Death Valley so we're kicking things off we're thrilled to be back thrilled to have you here and keep it coming Uh, keep sending us your thoughts and theories and emails and questions to this American horror story at gmail.com and join our conversation at facebook.com slash this American horror story. As always, you can rate us review us on your famous or famous favorite famous. Uh, I don't know. It's two thirty, and I, my mind is getting a little mushy, but you can, you can rate us and review us on your favorite <laughs> podcast platform. And if you are interested in throwing us a few bones, check out, buymeacoffee.com slash T-A-H-S that's all capitals and um, that's kind of where we land until next week Chris where can people find you between now and next Wednesday
1: I'll be on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Chris Husted Chris with a K uh, Tyler where can people find you
0: you can catch me in those places too at tj Masala. now phew Again, thrilled to be back. Nice to have you here. Whether you're new or returning,
1: uh, thanks wow, for sticking really... around with us for two episodes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two mon- episode. monster op- monster yeah. opening
0: pod. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be fun. and to have you here. Until next week, happy hunting.